0: Welcome to the Other Border Wall Podcast. We are a multicultural group of artists in conversation as part of our ongoing creative resistance to borders. Here we speak of the bridges and walls we encounter. We are Terana Dia, Leah Patgorski, and Jennifer Nagel-Myers.
1: Welcome, everybody. We are here at the end of March with our special guest, Alberto Clatoa. I hope I said that right. Clatoa? You did. Okay. Did. Uh, Alberto is a food justice advocate, social entrepreneur, historian, artist, and community organizer. When Alberto was a child, his family had a farming plot in the largest urban farm in the nation in South Central Los Angeles. However, it was destroyed in 2006 and since that time he has helped organize community residents to challenge irresponsible developments. He co-founded the South Central Farm, a grassroots organization that promotes the establishment and preservation of green and open space in South Central Los Angeles, a community where green and open space is rare, as well as promote urban planning, farming, urban farming, a public health and effective participation in the planning of development that intimately affect every single one of the residents that reside there. Um, it's an incredible story and you uh, have done so much and and wear so many different hats and we would like to ask you about many of them, all of them, uh, but we thought we would start with bringing our audience um, into the story of the South Central Farm. If you could tell us a bit about it and how you were Um, connected to it and what happened there?
2: So uh, the land that we were fighting for such a long time has such a uh, historical significance to our community. Um, Unfortunately, right now, four warehouses have been built on that site, which is sad. Uh, But it led to a bigger movement. So here's the history in like a a couple of seconds. Because it's a (laughs) a lot of history to cover. I've been part of uh, documenting the history and also capturing the narrative of the community, right? So as a storyteller, it's also important to understand the history of our communities and what our communities have done to challenge um, institutional racism. And um, our community has been fighting for environmental justice since the early uh, 80s. Yeah. So... um, the, the historical land site of the South Central Farm was once going to be, a uh, trash incinerator was going to be, be built on that site, and the community members mobilized to organize, and they, they fought it off, and it remained vacant for such a long time. It wasn't until the 1992 uprisings where our community really saw a lot of looting of food, so a lot of grocery stores, liquor stores, people were stealing food, so there was a big... Um, A a big light was shed on the fact that a lot of families were experiencing food insecurity. So that land was mitigated to the community as a way to heal after the 1992 uprisings. It flourished into a community uh, urban farm, a 14-acre urban farm, and um, it flourished until 2006. And so the community, I came in uh, as a kid. My family had a farming plot in the South Central Farm. It wasn't known as the South Central Farm. We later dubbed it the South Central Farm. Um, we were there. We were one of the original people who, who started the other side because the project was only supposed to be seven acres, but then it the wow. was so huge. It jumped onto the other seven acres, making a total of 14-acre urban oasis where families had an opportunity to grow their own food and also teach their children how to grow their own food. So it was a very unique project that the community was really fond of. And that's what uh, led to a big movement to really shed light on the lack of access to food, the nutritious food that we have and also the environmental uh, uh, injustice and racism that our communities experience. Because for those of you who don't know the, uh, the geographic of our neighborhood, it's highly industrialized. So mm-hmm. we are pretty much boxed in by all the major freeways, the 10 freeway, the, uh, the 110 freeway, the 105 freeway and the 710. so we're boxed in into all around um, uh, freeways. so we, we also have a lot of bad air quality and we don't also also don't have access to open green spaces for our community. So it, it served as some, uh, a focal point of community gathering a green space and also helped uh, unite our community and and after we received our first notice of eviction in 2003, the community decided to mobilize because we were not given the due process. If they ask us, hey, we're going to sell it, then why why can't we fundraise ourselves to try to purchase this? And that was the end goal of our campaign for three years to try to bring awareness about this beautiful urban farm, a 14-acre urban farm that pretty much a lot of people didn't have knowledge of. So then we had concerts, vigils. We had a lot of celebrity also come out and support us. We also did a, a civil disobedience action to stand in solidarity with our community members and saying no to the destruction of the South Central Farm. And since then, um, we've really been vocal and advocating for uh, urban farms, uh, food justice, environmental justice, and also getting uh, our community to be empowered and also know how uh, these institutions work and how decision process happens. So that's a little bit of a glimpse of our story, but uh, out of an uprising, this beautiful movement erupted, rise to basically mm-hmm. get people to be become vocal and active members of their community.
1: It's an incredible story that continues right now today, completely still alive. I watched um, the short film last night, the Oasis in the, in the Desert um, film. I'll, we'll link to all of that. And there was one part where I know you were like 18 years old, I think, when that was happening in 2006. And it really struck me so hard when you said if they tear down one tree, we'll just plant two more. And I just thought that's really the spirit you have to go through this with. It's like, we'll double down our efforts to rebuild. We've got a history of the farm and I really appreciate that because I don't think a lot of our listeners who are in Pennsylvania know that much about what happened there, but there's a lot of similar environmental racism happening in Pennsylvania and um, in different ways. And just racism in Pennsylvania. So one thing Tara and I were talking about before we got on with you is the connection with the how the farm that plot was from the Rodney King uprising and the connection there. I think Tara and I wanted to ask a question about
0: that. Um I did have a question about um about the the uprisings and the, how that was the impetus for for the farm, but I had a question I guess going back a little bit I just was curious about your experience growing up with that green space and with that um, with the farm as part of your youth could you talk a little bit about how that had how that what was that experience like were you actively involved or were you just kind of just getting the benefits of the harvest and just want to get a sense of what that experience was like for
2: you so my family comes from an agricultural background, so definitely it's something that has been embedded in my family and also my father, who really was a big advocate of teaching us how to grow our own food. And at my early ages, I hated the farm because <laughs> he would wake us up really early to go instead of watching cartoons <laughs> in the weekend. We had to go weed out our crops and water our plants. Um, but later on, as I got older, I really started to notice the importance and the lack of a uh, of access to healthy food in our neighborhood. Uh, We live in a highly industrialized uh, neighborhood that does not have access to uh, a lot of grocery stores. We have more liquor stores than grocery stores. So that was a big issue for me. And also the fact that um, people were not really thinking about urban agriculture as something um, that could benefit the community, right? So I think in the last five, 10 years, there has been a shift in terms of how people see food and they, there's there's been a calling for localization of food and food systems. So I think that that's what the the farm serve. And and during the uprisings, I was in uh I was five years old and I, I still vividly remember military tanks outside my local Rite Aid, uh, just guarding, um, the grocery store. Cause there was a Rite Aid and, uh, and, uh, well, actually it was, it was known as thrifty before. Um, and then there was a rouse next to it. So definitely military tanks just posting outside guarding the, the businesses. Right. So definitely. And then just seeing the violence that erupted because of the racism. Right. So I think that, um, a lot of people I kind of make that reference and make the connection because it's something that so out of something violent erupted this, this beautiful project for the community that was really beneficial to them. But uh, the riots really shifted the the, the di- dynamics and also uh, allow the community to give an opportunity to grow their own food, which was uh, to me important and necessary because, like I said, we didn't have access to local fresh quality produce or also cu- culturally relevant foods that uh, our our community is used to eating, so.
0: Yeah, I think for me, I have really come to understand the uh, importance of food food justice, and fairly recently, and I only recently also found out that my family owned a farm in Pennsylvania, over 100 years ago and wow. so you kind of see the loss of um the loss so much of land and farms being lost by african-american and black families and just how much um food access food culture food justice um, is so wound up and with all of the things around injustice issues in america so i really see the parallels between what you're talking about and what I'm learning that my family has also dealt with.
1: Right now, Alberto, what is it like in South Central? Like
2: what is what kind of green spaces are there for people? So we don't have a lot of access to open space. Some of the parks actually have been closed during this pandemic. And, <clears throat> you know, nature has been one of the things that really has helped people with their mental health, uh, right? Because we, we cannot socialize with people. So definitely COVID-19 has also shed a light that people are still experiencing food insecurity. And now I want to see more policy ma- made that actually uh, tries to fix some of these problems that our community has been facing for years. So food insecurity has, has been affecting our community since the uprisings of 1992, and it's still the same. We still don't have a lot of grocery stores. We still don't have access to a lot of green space. Mm-hmm. Um, we have pocket parks, which are about half an acre or less than an acre, which are not that big. So compared to other neighborhoods there have parks... A lot of parks, right? So definitely, I went to school uh, Mm -hmm. at UCLA. So when I made my commute from South Central to uh, Westwood, I saw a big difference. There was literally three grocery stores within walking distance of each other. For us, they're too spread out or they don't even exist in our neighborhood. So definitely, I think that a lot of things has not changed, specifically now with gentrification, coming into our neighborhoods because we live close to downtown LA. Now there's value And we're seeing all these developments come about. So that's why we're really focused on creating um, uh, and community empowerment through urban planning and and letting folks know how that works and how can they use that as a tool to advocate for green spaces or mixed use uh, developments that incorporate housing, parks, community centers. So it's because we don't have a lot of land that's uh, undeveloped anymore. Everything's pretty much has been bought up or it has been built on. So definitely that's also a big issue, right? Like if we don't have land to build parks, how, what can we do to integrate land use, specifically with the projects that are, are, are being proposed uh, currently in our community? But um, that's something that we've been vocal about. And the reason why we stay committed to the original South Central Farm site for such a long time, it was because it was 14 acres of, of undeveloped land. 14 yeah. acres of, of developed land in the city of Los Angeles is pretty much unheard of now. So definitely that, that that's why we... We continue to fight. We we continue that long battle uh, with developers and with the city of Los Angeles for such a long time.
1: And you said when we first started talking that now, since twenty eighteen, in that time, now that there are buildings on the site.
2: Yeah, four warehouses have been built on the on the historic South Central Farm site. Uh, We we were fighting developers and the city for since two thousand and three until two thousand and nineteen. So in 19, we we ended uh, our lawsuit against the current owners of the land because they wanted to build uh, uh, four industrial warehouses, and we were challenging them because they didn't do an adequate environmental impact port. And for those of you who are not familiar, um, we also, the farm is right next to the Alameda Corridor, which is basically where all the ports of Long Beach and the San Los Angeles pass through our neighborhood. The train? So- yeah the train yeah we we already experiencing a lot of a lot of diesel traffic in that area and adding four more warehouses was gonna further uh, deteriorate the the health of our residents because they were going to be breathing all that diesel fumes so definitely that area was key and and us fighting for environmental justice and also advocating for our residents that you know that, that these are the projects that are being proposed to your neighborhood and we wanted to activate them and that's what we did and so for about uh, I would say from two thousand and three, from two thousand and six to two thousand and nineteen, we stopped developments from getting built on that site. Wow. So it, we gave them a a, a long fight to truly really try to restore it. But unfortunately, like I said, it was just wow. um, economics. Um, all of these things. It's that is really upsetting, right? You, you see so many injustices, and like when are we gonna get our justice right? But one of the things that did come out of this movement is us learning how those systems works yes. and how how can we prolong them or challenge them or how can we put pressure on these developers to build projects that are going to benefit our community
0: yeah i think that that kind of multi multi tactics i don't know i'm not using the right words but just thinking about how No matter what justice issue you are trying to combat, you have to have a multi-pronged approach because it's never just one thing. (laughs) It impacts so many different other levels and so many other issues that you really do have to become someone who understands urban planning, someone who understands Mm -hmm. zoning laws, someone who understands... Mm -hmm. Um, infrastructure and transportation. I mean, it just covers so many different issues Um, as an activist. How do you go about focusing on the issue, but also learning all these other aspects that you have to do in order to be
2: successful, in order to achieve your goals? Um, That's a a very complicated (laughs) question, but I'm glad you asked it because I think it's important that we also understand the, the systems that are put in place. So we don't understand the language they use to make these decisions. For example, I I I'm not an urban planner, but I call myself the hood urban planner because I've been challenging irresponsible developers for such a long time <laughs> that I had a that I had to learn that language and how that language is applied in policy and also in decision making. Right. So definitely one of the things that I I, I can tell you from experience is that we have to put ourselves in those uh and and those conversations and I also have a seat in those. In those in those tables. Mm -hmm. And for such a long time, communities of color have been excluded from decision-making processes, right? And so definitely, I think that um, right now, there's a lot of momentum to really uh, try to shift how these racist um, policies have been impacted our communities, right? So we wanna change them. We wanna improve the quality of life for all residents. So definitely, I think that um, we have to be versed or even understand, or also be able to communicate in a language that's also easy to understand. Because when I started learning about, you know, the environmental impact reports, or CEQA law, or just, you know, the zoning laws, you know, it's very complicated. And if somebody who who works uh, long shifts, they're not going to dedicate like uh, maybe an hour to learn all. this but it 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 does impact them right so we gotta make it interesting for them are we gonna we gotta post the whole picture Them, this is how this impacts you when this development happens right these are the consequences right so definitely there's it's understanding the full circle of how things work and also uh being able to to um convey a message right and i think that's what the south central farm has done is basically conveying a story of people learning how to navigate these institutions, learning how to navigate um, uh, these these unjust laws that continue to impact and damage our communities. And so I think that there's a, a lot of work still that needs to get done, but we also need to shift the conversation. For example, a lot of the community farms or community gardens in Los Angeles are owned by the city. But because real estate property is so valuable here in the city, whenever the city decides, they're going to develop those sites and those projects are done. So one of the things that we've been advocating for is land access, is food justice. So that's where it starts. We need to have land ownership. So yeah. we, we've been talking about the concepts of community land trust and what does that entail and how can that benefit a community so they could secure land and preserve it for future generations. Because like I said, I don't want to be later on down the line talking about, I remember when when houses used to have a backyard, because right now entire blocks are getting bought off and demolished to build, uh, you know, housing that's up. So uh, definitely, I think that's that's something that that's where we ha- we are headed. So yeah, we need to have these conversations like right now,
1: right now. So the when you talk about the the public trust, the public trust for land, is that something that?
2: exists what is yes, that yes that's a, there's so there's a national organization the trust for public land that has uh-huh. been uh, preserving green space um, there's also okay. the concept of of, of of land trust for housing um so definitely there's multiple uh, ho- uh land trusts but we're also saying that it, this could be used to create urban farms and urban gardens that could be uh-huh. uh, uh green spaces for communities and they just creating land ownership um, it's what really activates community residents, right? So we want to centralize a, a centralized, yes. centralized location where community members could gather and talk about presenting issues, and also empower them to to learn how how these systems work, so they could advocate for themselves. Because that's one of the things we had to do: how to advocate for ourselves and learn how to navigate these spaces.
1: And it's intentional that the language they use in these systems is very like obscure and hard to access because it benefits them to keep it out of like regular language, you know, and also just to think about it, it, I mean, it's the laws they write benefit them. So they have to think about it that way It's you have to access it from a lot of different angles. I was just going to say that the impact of, of seeing the direct footage of you all protesting and being there at the site was so powerful and will stay with me forever really to see land that was yours to to be taken is something that is like it's 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 such terror it's a like a true form of terror terrorism and um it's it seems like so simple just make more spaces for people to to grow their food like it's it's such a con- concept that's rooted in our history as humans that um is incredible that we have to face these like oppressive like concrete Structures. It's just, it's so at odds with who we really are deep down as a species. Anyway, I, I don't really have a question. I'm just saying that that was very impactful. So thank you for, for, for growing out of that into what you
0: now do. Um, I just wanted to ask you had talked about public land or, or land that's owned by, uh, municipalities, or in this case, the city of Los Angeles versus actual land for the public. I wonder if you could talk about the difference that difference because as someone who doesn't understand this process very well it seems like if it's public land it should be accessible to the public rather than sold whenever a, mun- a municipality or a city wants to sell it for revenue.
2: Um so the city of the city of Los Angeles owns a lot of land that's uh, owned by the city but it's just sitting there it's nothing happening Mm -hmm. in those uh, land plots so in my i live in council district nine in the city of los angeles which is south central los angeles and i see a lot of vacant lots in my neighborhood and um we constantly hear oh this 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 land is going to be designated for affordable housing but it's been 10 years and nothing has Mm -hmm. been developed on this site right so the city has definitely because there's a, a whole um Conversation now about green space and food justice right now. Um, previously, uh, the city had po- passed policy that encourages um, landowners who own land to get a tax uh write-off if they're 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 called uh, urban agriculture and zones. So for example, let's say I own a piece of land and I don't want to do anything with it, and then I could lease it to an organization or somebody who wants to do a community garden for a lease of five years or whatnot, right? Um and they get tax incentives, right? To, uh, you know, tax cuts, right? On their taxes. Um, so definitely there has been uh, a shift in policies. But what I'm saying is, yes, you guys are supporting these kind of projects, but you guys are not freeing up the land that you guys own or even allowing people who want to buy it to um, purchase it to develop these kind of projects in the community. And I think that that's important, right? If you want to be an advocate of change, if you want to pass policy that really kind of changes some of these systems, but yeah, you're not, you're not, you're, you're talking, but you're not doing the walking. Right. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, I've been in this food just as well for uh, almost 17 years now Mm -hmm. of my life that I've been working on this. So definitely, I, I seen how things have changed, how the conversation now is currently guided. So yeah, the city does own a lot of land. And I think that now it's a time to free up some of the land and give it to the community so they could buy it. And even buying land uh, here in, in Southern California is really expensive. So I think that also uh, plays a big role in, in like how can th- we make it accessible to folks to buy it if they want to create urban gardens or green spaces in their communities. But the city does own a lot of land and I think we should uh, be saying, hey, you guys have this land, why don't you guys do something with it? And let community members um, you know, pitch projects for those sites because there's a lot of need in our neighborhood specifically for food, food justice and food access in our neighborhood. I hope that answered yeah. your question. Wow. And the concept of yes. uh, land, yes. community land trust is where we collectively buy it mm-hmm. and we, we secure it so we have a say on what what gets built on that side because' we're, we become landowners. Mm-hmm.
1: Have you has that's very exciting. Has that been able to take any ground like in your neighborhoods?
2: Um, yes, uh, we have an organization that we've been kind of working with uh, called the Los Angeles Neighborhood Land Trust, and they build parks and community gardens for uh, local residents throughout um, Los Angeles. So definitely they've been doing that work, but I think more people need to jump on that bandwagon and do this work, right, because the need mm-hmm. is so great uh especially in our in our cities that are very urbanized we have a a high density population so definitely it's there's a lot of people and so we need more more green spaces and i think that this 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 conversations are happening across the country now because people see the need um to really uh localize their food system and also advocate and create green jobs right
0: yeah
2: one of the things that we've been vocal about is that food can generate jobs and could be part of the green new deal right how do we how do we create green economies that are going to be beneficial for the residents? So definitely food entrepreneurship can be a way to really create jobs in our neighborhood. And also urban agriculture bringing um, jobs as well to uh, even youth apprenticeship programs or internship for youth so they could know about food systems and how uh, a lot of the communities of color um, don't have access to to healthy grocery stores or any grocery stores in general.
0: Yeah,
1: the food uh, food desert in your neighborhood. Yeah. Are there um are there examples in South Central Los Angeles of of smaller community gardens that have come over the last like decade or so?
2: Yeah, there's been some that have benefited from the urban agriculture incentive zones, which is very minimal. I only know one in my neighborhood and yeah. uh, we one of my friends runs it and she works for this organization so definitely I've seen um more organizations and more community members jumping into this doing this type of work but um the 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 thing that's missing is land access for sure right Uh, how do we make it easier um and definitely how do we incorporate incorporate designers and landscape design right how do we maximize land use like i said because we don't have a lot of access to a lot of open land so we have to be smart on how we how we design uh Projects, so definitely, I think that's also a big component of our of our organization to really activate residents and and use um, asset based community development where we kind of shed light to the assets of the community and get those strengths and build projects that are going to be beneficial for them.
1: It's so inspiring. <laughs> well, Alberto, thank you so much. I I really appreciate your time. You're so wise and have so much to share with us. Um, it's really em- empowering. And for people to hear this, I know it's very inspiring. In a lot of our listeners come from Pittsburgh where Tara and I, and I used to be based and there's a major same issues happening there. Um, many of the lower income neighborhoods are like without green space. And then you see it in the wealthier neighborhood, like all this Park. And then I knew people in Pittsburgh who even though there's parks there had never been able to, they had never even gone to the parks. It's like, there's a disconnect. And they're the people who would benefit most from having space to be outside and growing food. Alberto, I would love to just ask you how all of that that happened when you were younger in 2006 brought you to co-found the South Central Farm Organization.
2: Um, I think that because of the work that we were doing, it kind of has been evolving constantly, right? We've been, we've been, running campaigns to uh, hold developers and elected officials accountable for such a long time. Now we're shifting um, the tactics. Now we're we're advocating for land access right? So we definitely know that that's an issue. One of the biggest issues is land access We don't have control of projects. Uh, We don't have say in projects because most of the times these developments when the meetings are happening are during work hours where we come from working class families who, Obviously, yeah. are not going to take um, time off their job to go see what's going to happen in their neighborhood, or advocate, or even learn about the development, right? So, I think that definitely, I think we 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 use that approach, um, and we definitely been on a campaign to really get the hashtag and the movement of land access is for justice out there okay. uh, to put it out to the universe, right? So, we are we want to manifest our vision, and we want to guide the conversation. And I think it's it's important that we continue to do this work, because I'll I constantly get the, the questions like I want to start a community farm in my neighborhood. How do I do it right. So definitely I think we want to also create a blueprint on what it takes. Um, there's a lot of a lot, of, a lot, of, a lot of blue, a lot of work that needs to get done before you actually mount an urban farm, right? So, especially like I said, we live in an industrialized area. It might be contaminated. It might be known labeled as a brownfield as well, too. So, there's a lot of issues that are layered within actually getting a project off the ground. So, definitely, I think that mm-hmm. you know this work is important, and we continue to uh, lead this this conversation. And one of the things that uh, that we've been able to do is we've been able to uh, tell our story and also advocate and empower residents to take action within their own neighborhoods. So I think that that's a beautiful thing. Um, I think that there's 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 got to be leadership development in any struggle, so that the next generation takes up the fight and they take it further. My father was one of the organizers uh, in the in the in the South Central Farm back in the day and now I'm carrying that torch, and I hope to see the legacy of, of getting our community some land so we could um, develop these kind of projects in our neighborhood.
1: It's very inspiring that you are carrying the torch and you will pass it on to the next generation and the next, next person or people or communities. When, um, I was just gonna ask you to, we're, we'll make um, uh, links to all of these, but the to put out into the universe, land access is food justice over and over and over, (laughs) I think is so powerful and important. Um, It says everything right there. So I appreciate that, that clarity and direction. I guess one really quick question I had was just, are you finding supportive allies within uh, like government in in LA and in California? Like, are there people on your side in the city that are really advocating for
2: this work? I think. Because it's been over uh, ten years already, I think that the conversation has now shifted. Now, before we were seen as radical persons, like all oh, you guys for okay. this farm, right? So I think the 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 conversation is changing. It has changed over the last ten years, uh, specifically because we see more of this work being done by other people and other organizations, which is great. We need as many people to be involved in this this kind of work um and we welcome them and we thank them for for doing that but um now uh we have made strong allies and we also have a lot of support and also one of the things that i like to tell folks is that we create our own platform we have a lot of following on social media so definitely we want to guide those conversations and definitely we are willing and uh, and ready to collaborate with any city agency to help us make more uh access to green space and access to food uh, food, nutritious food in our neighborhood, accessible. So definitely, uh, I think we welcome that. Those partnership, uh, we're we're not in the offensive anymore. We are now in mm-hmm. the policy, trying to trying to shift policy, right? So we want to impact policy, and um, and we could disagree to disagree, right? Like they say, we, we, we <laughs> might not have the same um, experience, but we could uh, we could still work with each other to really get changes, and that's how change happens. We have to sometimes swallow our ego and really um, see for the benefit of the community. And that's what we're trying to do, really. But we we made some strong allies, uh, different other, other organizations and other people who have been very supportive of our work. And they give us credit because we we were there, out there in the streets, um, demanding accountability from our elected officials and developers, right? So we've done our due diligence to really uh, build our street credit. and <laughs> And it shows, right? So now it's how, how do we... How do we make it into a nice package and make it uh, viable and make people attracted to these possibilities of creating these food systems and green spaces as a means of also economic development and also greening our neighborhoods and also dealing with climate change because yeah know the climate change is real and it's affecting um us all across the country so definitely i think that it's just one solution to a multiple you know this big problem that we have so any food hubs or green spaces that can be allocated in communities of color it's a win for the community
1: big win
0: yeah i had a question um and it is going back to food um but you had mentioned culturally relevant foods and i want i want to know if you could talk a little bit more about what that means to you and how that is impacted by um Activism and also how that might impact the way that food is produced and consumed in different communities.
2: So one of the big dilemmas of uh, food insecurity is that sometimes uh, we might not have access to culturally relevant foods. For example, um, my family is from Puebla, Mexico, and we grew up green a lot. Of, we grew up eating a lot of greens that are not um, accessible in the local grocery stores. But so definitely uh, families have brought seeds and they started growing their own seeds in their front yards or in, in, in um in urban farms. So definitely I think that one of the things about creating access, also creating access to foods that you are accustomed to eating. So there's a lot of indigenous communities in our neighborhoods who continue to grow. Uh, Mesoamerican greens or heirloom seeds that have been planted from generation to generation. So also, also about preserving culture and tradition, right? So definitely, uh, <clears throat> we have a, a line of heirloom corns and and Mesoamerican greens that have been used in Mesoamerica, and people are still consuming them, right? But when they migrate to the states, they might not have access to them or know where to get them. So people started growing their own greens or their own they're they're preserving their identity and their culture by consuming the foods that they grew up eating so i think that that's fundamental that that we continue to strive to preserve our our our, our ancestral uh wisdom and knowledge about urban agric- uh, i mean agriculture so we we pass a generation to other folks and uh, our future generations are able to eat the foods that our ancestors were eating so i think it's 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 to me i'm i'm really big on that that people um eat foods that they used to eat their grandma used to cook. So definitely, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, for us, food is, for us, <clears throat> the most revolution you could do in a family household is break bread with your family because that's when we're taking with each other, right? So that that is an act of self-care in itself, specifically. And then our bodies, we, we have to take care of our bodies because we only have one body. We cannot buy another body, right? <laughs> so I think it's important that we also uh, know the history of it right and also now with a lot of genetically modified foods being out there as well too like they're also affecting the purity of our seeds right so definitely I think it's important that we that we we, we continue to to advocate for that and that's something that the South Central Farm has been doing, promoting, um, you know, indigenous foods, and a lot of people uh, like our content because they're like, you write so- about stuff that a lot of other people don't write about, right? Mm-hmm. And I get those DMs, uh, they're like, oh <laughs> I used to I used to grow I grew up in those but I live in Santa Cruz now and I cannot get them or you know they they just yeah and they, it's our cultural memory, right? So definitely I think um, one of the things that uh, still resonates with a lot of folks is foods. when we we taste mama's home cooking or grandma's home cooking, it just triggers something within our brains. Deep. And it just brings mm-hmm. us back, right? So there's, there's, there's yeah. that connection. So we're we're about that.
0: Yeah. yeah. And the video also had mentioned something about medicinal mm-hmm. um, crops as well. Is that something that still is an important part of the activism for people to actually have access to the indigenous and traditional medicines?
2: Definitely. And something that we like to say is food is medicine. Food is, you know, yeah. our, our, our communities used to um, heal ailments with herbs yeah and so there's mm-hmm. this whole ancestral knowledge of specific herbs that heal stomach ache headaches um that help uh, uh, uh regulate blood so definitely there's that knowledge within our, our indigenous communities right and it, mm-hmm. it doesn't come with any side effects that's the beauty yeah. of it right you're, you're <laughs> eating it's a plant-based medicine so definitely i think that that knowledge um has been preserved and we continue to see it in our neighborhoods people are growing all kinds of medicinal herbs in our neighborhoods if you just walk down the street any block somebody's yeah. growing something and and mm-hmm. also uh that triggers memory as well too because um, i also uh present to youth and definitely when i talk about i do segments on herbs they're like oh my grandma uses this to hear uh help me with my stomach egg or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, it's, it's, it it triggers that. Right. So it's also a form of empowerment and to be prideful that our ancestors had knowledge of medicine and it's used, you know, it's continued to, it's continued to being used right now. It's, it's constantly present in our our daily lives. So definitely, um, you know, herbs play a big role in our community as well too. And as a way to heal our communities. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: And I, I guess one other one last question in in that line of thinking, does that independence, that connection to culture and that power, does that threaten the big box retailers and the agricultural systems and the pharmaceutical or the pharmaceutical companies, or is it an opportunity to have partnership
2: um, with them or to replace them? So going back to the destruction of the South Central Farm, what I got from the destruction, because it was a very violent eviction and destruction, uh, 45, 45 uh, community members got arrested that day on June 13, 2006. And what that told me, it was an attack on our identity, our foods, our culture. It it basically was an attack saying, you cannot be who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, but our seats have, have been resistance. Our existence mm-hmm. is resistance, right? Mm-hmm. So definitely, I think that that we we need to um, really see the bigger picture, right? And under really understand how how we continue to thrive amongst all this uncertainty and civil unrest in our in our in our neighborhoods. We are constantly getting attacked from multiple uh, directions. Mm-hmm. It's a never-ending cycle. But I think that. Mm-hmm. Um, the most dangerous thing that the farm uh, represented to other folks was the fact that people could be autonomous. Yes. That people could, it could be a project that was led by the community for the community. And I think that that mm-hmm. was, uh, during that time, that was the, probably the biggest fear, because um, once you lose fear, you're not afraid to ask any questions. Mm-hmm. I myself mm-hmm. have been put in those situations where I had to go to meetings that i was like, Oh my God, I don't even know what the hell they're talking about. <laughs> but I, I chose to put myself in those places to learn. Yeah. To yeah. see how it works. And I'm not afraid of asking questions. I'm not yeah. afraid of mm-hmm. asking my hand and raising my hand and asking, Hey, how do we do this? Or how does that work? Can you explain it to me? Right. So we could mm-hmm. grasp and understand it. So definitely, um, Communities will continue to drive amongst turning, and it's something that um, that <clears throat> that I carry, and, I, and and it's my lived experience, right? Mm-hmm. I learned so, I've learned so much in the seventeen years that I've done this work about activism and how uh, local government works. I've learned how to uh, speak to my community, uh, how to talk to them in the way they understand and understand what's going on, and also maybe hopefully empower one or two, right? It, like I like to say, if you can empower one or two persons, you are already done your job, right? When you mm-hmm. ignite, you you, you you create that spark and yes. they become exposed to this new realm of, of things that they were not even, they, they didn't understand that it impacted them or it could affect them, right? So I think definitely that's, that's also um, important. And definitely, yeah, uh, herbs, anything that's plant-based has been a threat to pharmaceuticals because mm-hmm. you you're you're turning their their um money money mechanism right that's how they they gain capital that's how they they build wealth um and it's sad but um there's still a bunch of knowledge in our in our indigenous communities about medicine so definitely i think that uh there's still a lot of a a lot of room for growth um and now we are seeing the conversation of a more holistic medicine right so definitely also It tells you something, right? That things are changing. People are are reading more, are becoming more aware of um, all these medicines that are are healing something but causing something else.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I think even with it, with COVID nineteen, and just looking at how do we um, have a healthy immune system, and what are the mm-hmm. things that we can do, just on our own to to have that that strong immune system. And a lot of it is just things that are natural. It's not going to cure anything, but at least it's something that can help us stay healthy. And having access to that and having the knowledge of that I think is really important. So thank you.
1: Alberto, I wanted to ask like what's a typical day like for you? Like what's your what's your life like? Well,
2: I try to post every day on <laughs> social media accounts. That's uh... <laughs>
1: I love your social media. We're going to post to them there. They're really inspiring. That's how I found you. I was like...
2: This person is a genius. <laughs> this is so brilliant all of it. Yeah. So, I have a background in marketing and PR. <laughs> okay. So, and and definitely I've been in the community so I really I like I said I've been a community organizer for 17 17 plus years of my life already. Uh, I know my neighborhood, I know my neighbors, I know the organizations that work in my neighborhood. Cool. So, I think it's important to build bridges and also network with folks and um This is just one fight. There's multiple fights going on for affordable housing, access to health care. Yeah. uh, You know, so there's so many battles, uh, labor laws, uh, worker rights, immigration rights, right? And um, we all know each other. So one of my typical days is just, you know, always replying to folks. And currently, we are uh, doing a partnership with Cal Poly Pomona, And they're going to help us design the future vision of our new farm. So we have about 70 uh, landscape architects um, learning from us and hearing what we got to say to build this vision for us. And so definitely uh, that's one of the projects that we've been working on uh, during this pandemic. And also um, a study is going to get published uh, documenting the process of, um, you know, Uh, of our work Uh, how does that work how to to build an urban farm and I think that a lot of people would be interested in this this study because like I said I always get uh, emails and comments from folks I want to start an urban farm in my neighborhood how do I do it do I just go to the city and they're going to give me free land well I'm sorry that's not how it works (laughs) (laughs) but uh, people are under that perception that it's easy but it's it takes it takes a lot I know it's a lot of work but definitely um, constantly replying to emails and also trying to mm-hmm. build um, more allies and also uh, empower more local residents to be active in their neighborhoods because um, they're the ones who are going to be impacted by developments, uh, by all the things that are happening in their neighborhoods. So definitely um, my my goal is to continue to tell our story. And as a historian of the South Central Farm who's been documenting the history, yeah. I think it's important that we... I always shed light back to our work, where it's rooted in, which is creating land access, creating food justice, and creating um, and creating a just world. And also advocating for environmental justice, because enough is enough. I'm tired of uh, elected officials and developers exploiting and extracting resources from our neighborhoods and not really giving back to our neighborhood. So definitely, I think that um, I take I take that role really um, serious when I really create my posts and uh, all my posts are created with an intention to yeah. so either spark our conversation or see it from a different light. Um, so definitely I, I, I craft my, my, my content carefully each day to really um, mm-hmm. try to uh, attract different folks. And um, there is a big movement now of people wanting to reclaim land and buy land for their neighborhood. So definitely I want to see that uh, throughout the throughout the country and also throughout the world because food insecurity is not the, is something that impacts the whole world and it's something that's affecting globally right so how can we maximize land use in urban cities how can we get people to grow their own food so definitely it's about creating autonomy and resilience and also um, create a vision of a better of a greener world that's more more aligned with the values of protecting our environment and protecting the health and wellness of the community
1: thank you I was just going to say that on your posts, I feel like you're giving a voice to the plants and I really appreciate that you bring them like you bring them up so much like they're already just these like magnificent plants or just like they don't even make sense how miraculous they are. But you um, I just feel like you're directly you're so directly connected. You can like they get shared. You're sharing them there in ways that are really inspiring and and really powerful and empowering. So. I was just going to quickly say, Taranay and I are both artists. and is also a fashion designer, but we wanted to know what you are, how your art comes into this, how you're an artist too. It's one of your hats. Uh,
2: so one of my hats as an artist is also to create digital art, The kind of uh, voices um, what I'm talking about, which is food justice and that access. So definitely I also created uh, some puns with some graphics. Um, so I created recently one that says, uh, if you can figure, if you can feed yourself, you can free yourself. That's one of the posts, right? And mm-hmm. so, definitely, I think um, it's little messages like that that can really spark and trigger something within folks. Yes. And I want to really activate and um, and really inspire folks because I think that in general, I mean, art. I was one of the original persons that created a lot of the signs for the South Central Farm. The signs oh. that you see, the the messaging see that you see posted mm-hmm. around the farm. Um, I stencil mm-hmm. them. Uh, I so two big messages that constantly get reshared um, are also online. So messaging to me has been very important in art as a way to activate and empower and create empowerment. And so definitely art has been a way to for me to really message my voice and really get my uh, what I feel and my beliefs out there to the world. So definitely putting that there in the universe. And so definitely people, it resonates sometimes with them, right? Right. Um, because, um, you know, we had a lot of art parties back in the day. We used to host art parties because whenever we prepare for an action, um date night before we would uh do art parties in the community, came over and we did art together. We painted banners, we created uh art. So definitely um visuals are really big about uh are big in our, our movement. And also we did Teatro Campesino. Uh, we had a, a puppet master, a really good friend of my, uh, mine, come and teach us how to make paper mache masking. We did Teatro Campesino as a way to tell our story and get people mm-hmm. familiar with our, our work. Right. So definitely we definitely using art, we have used art as a way of uh, a, a vehicle of mm-hmm. change. Right. Yeah. <laughs> wanna, and we we also want to capture the youth's attention because they're the next generations of leaders. And we want to also. Um, like I said, pass the torch to the next generation so they could take it even further. And I think that um, art connects us. Everybody loves art. Um, I think that's the beauty of art, right? Yes. It's very versatile, Mm -hmm. right? It could be anything, right? You interpret it, right? So to me, I think that um, using art as a way to, to spark conversations or even create visibility has been key to build this movement. And we've been talking about food access and land justice for such a long time and land access that we are known throughout the states. Uh, We have followers across the states. Um, Last year, I was a keynote speaker to the American Community Garden Association. Yes. And I connected with a lot of folks in all corners of the United States doing this kind of work. So definitely it's important to see what it's, it's, to me, it's very empowering and to see other folks doing the same kind of work, but in other other states, so definitely, uh, you know, that 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 create finding your tribe like they say, right? Yes. And the people who are mm-hmm. like finding like you it's it's really, really, really key to me because sometimes, don't get me wrong, it's been tough. This this struggle has been hard. Um so many it's been a roller coaster ride because we sometimes we have wins, sometimes we had major losses. And um, it's been like that for years. And now that we're shifting this conversation to become actual landowners and we're looking to buy land and we wanna lead those conversations. So definitely, I think art has been my weapon to really voice what I, I wanna see in the world. So as an artist, I, I just, I love life creating. I love uh, designing stuff because <laughs> it's just it just makes me happy. <laughs> mm. That's
1: great. It's really great. Well, I think we're almost at the hour mark and I know we don't want to take up a lot of your time. You've given us a lot. Tarani, do you think we should end with our
0: questions? Our final question or? Yeah, um, you had mentioned um, building bridges earlier and I was wondering if if there's a particular bridge or opening or um, connection that has been fundamental or monumental to you and your activism your creativity Um, if you could talk a little bit about what that was if it was something that was unexpected or how and how did you go about creating that connection
2: um for us food has been our center and uh, as a way to organize so definitely um when we had a lot of these actions there was always some kind of food being shared so um I've built long-lasting friendships that, that I now consider family because of this movement and people who've been social justice warriors in our neighborhood. So definitely, I think um, finding like many people and connecting them in, a, in different capacities is really beautiful, um, mm-hmm. specifically when you're sharing um, food in the front lines of injustice. And it just builds uh, a bigger family. And we... And also, we also have farm kids. People uh, married mm-hmm. <laughs> or met at the South Central Farm and now they have families. So now they have kids, right? So, I, it's, uh, so they, the seeds have been planted and continue to thrive. So I think that these bonds are, are long-lasting. And I know for a fact that... Um, a lot of the people that were there protesting or got arrested, I'm still close with and I follow them. And we might not be, we might not see each other physically, but there's that connection of that movement that connects us. Yeah. And, and that that food came, that connection came because of our food and our existence and our culture and our our desire to continue to preserve our seeds and continue to plant our foods and continue to advocate for environmental justice and food justice. So those connections are there. And they have manifested into multiple relationships that are, continue to thrive. So I think to me that's really beautiful. And, and I always welcome folks to connect because you know you know food is our connection. One of the things I like to say we all eat right. So when we talk about political yes. issues, when we talk about political issues, you know you cannot say oh it doesn't pertain to me because uh, you don't say oh I don't eat right. Like you, everybody eat, eats. Yes, substance. exactly. So <laughs> survive and to be well, right? So food has been our, 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 our key, uh, uh yeah. so to really organize and mobilize and empower community members.
0: Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Um, okay. I'll follow that. So yeah, because we, we consider this podcast to speak about the bridges and walls that we've encountered in our lives. So we just end asking about the bridges that you've built or found in your life, and then the walls that you've had to confront and overcome. So maybe I know we've spoken a lot. You've spoken a lot about different walls, but maybe a specific wall that you had to
2: deal with or metaphorical or. I think the biggest wall that I've encountered uh, while doing this work is um, really people not having faith in our communities.
1: Okay. I
2: think that there's this perception that people who live in impoverished neighborhoods do not have the skill set or the mindset to really advocate for themselves or they come with that mentality, oh, they want to, they, they choose to be unhealthy or mm. they don't want to do, they don't, they don't want to get themselves out of those situations, right? So I think that um, to me, <clears throat> I've proved that wrong. Um, I proved that community members can gather and create a movement to really um, unify the voices of the community and really challenge the systems that continue to oppress our communities. It's nothing new. It's just yeah. a different date, a different year. So I think that uh, <clears throat> that people sometimes don't take us seriously, and that's what happened to us when we were first started campaigning to save the South Central Farm. I remember going to city council meetings and council members not paying attention, yeah. being on their phone, having some conversations. There was a couple who did listen, and and, and later down the line, I I. Reached out to them and I said, you know what? Thank you, because you were the only one listening to me when Mm -hmm. I was speaking. So I think that that's to me, um, getting that that getting that that getting taking our power back, right? Mm -hmm. So definitely, I think that that's something we've done. Like, uh, and I I could say from a a lived experience that I've been doing that. I've been claiming the power and the voice of my community through my work, and I hope that other people can can also can can also join this kind of work because it's it's beautiful to share and break bread with with people and share food. That's the ultimate act of kindness that I, anybody can can do to another human being is share food with them. And so definitely I I want to I want to I wanna place my faith and my hopes on the next generations of leaders who are really going to uh, strive for change. And this 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 battle continues, you know, it might not be me next, but it's going to be somebody else. And, and our goal and our obligation as leaders and voices of our community is to really equip them with the necessary skill set and tools to navigate those 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 systems and really be agents of change.
1: Yeah, to literally build the bridges over the walls just to keep building
2: them.
0: yeah. And I love the how you said the work is beautiful. Yeah, I'm gonna think about that a lot. yeah, it's
2: beautiful but tough. <laughs> but yes. i think that um you know with the right skill set uh, you could really um take some of those barriers away and build those bridges and and knock those walls down yeah and definitely um We are the roses that grew out of the concrete. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because we do have thorns. We're spicy. (laughs) We'll get them out.
0: we got to have some thorns, (laughs)
2: yes. we got to have some thorns to really protect ourselves (laughs) and our communities. (laughs) And and, and we continue to thrive. And we've been living in a concrete jungle for such a long time. And it's our time. It's our time to lead.
0: It's our
2: time to change. And it's our, our time to empower. That's beautiful.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Is it's there awesome. anything that we didn't ask about that you'd like to talk about or mention before we wrap up?
2: I think I, I think I said pretty much everything that you guys, your questions were pretty uh, on point with everything <laughs> okay. that I was trying to convey. So thank you for guiding the conversation. I think it's important to to have these conversations right and for folks who are in similar situations because i've also gotten um you know those messages where like oh my community garden is going to get shut down what can we do what can we do to organize or mobilize right it's just
0: mm-hmm. you just got
2: to get a bunch of people who are committed yeah. to fighting for social change and social justice because there's always going to be injustice in our neighborhood injustice injustice laws injustice policies in our neighborhood so we just we gotta put ourselves and the front lines and if they don't if they don't invite you to the table make your own table and bring your own yeah. chairs and I think that the, yeah. that's something that the South Central Fund has done yeah For such a long time we were excluded from the major conversations about food justice work because we were seen as the radical ones mm-hmm. we were the ones that went to protest the mayor we went to protest a <laughs> council member we went to protest pretty much everybody and 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 that kind of impacted our work for such a long time, but one of the things that we did learn is that never wait for somebody to change your change whatever needs to get changed. You gotta put yourself in the battlefield and advocate for yourself. And that's the one thing that I, I like to tell and share folks, like don't wait on anybody mm-hmm. to make a difference. You gotta be that difference. So definitely uh, don't be afraid, lose your fear. Um, and the only dumb question was the one that was never asked. So I think that a lot of people mm. sometimes are too scared also as well to ask questions because they're like, oh, that's probably a dumb question. Like you, you'll be surprised how many folks probably are thinking the same thing, but they just yes. don't have the courage to ask or find out. So that those those are my lesson learned from this movement. And I continue to, I continue to fight with my same passion that I had back in 2003 mm-hmm. because it, it was really a project that that was my first time seeing community be at that kind of level where people were just working together, sharing food. Um, so it, w- it was a very powerful experience to me that I kind of continue to cherish. Yes. And so definitely it, it, it has been a big factor in the way I think, the way I believe our society should work. And also why I continue to do this work because um, I want to make sure that other youth and other kids in my neighborhood have the same opportunity that I have because that experience in itself really really shifted my thinking about food and also just I could see all the injustices that were happening
0: yeah and
2: Mm -hmm. uh, I come from a a Spanish speaking neighborhood so sometimes when they would speak those elected officials will not listen because they were they were uh, in Spanish. They were Spanish speakers, so I was their voice when I, mm-hmm. I I did my time to speak there. So definitely, I think that also um, being able to capture everybody's idea and just uh, say it in a way that it's very passionate and also uh, straight from the heart because this work is from my heart.
0: Yeah,
2: and uh, and it's it's been challenging, like I said, but it's it's been a, a blessing in disguise at times because it has exposed me to so many people, so many organizations, so many amazing people. And I want to, I want to see that for other folks. And, uh, you know, I think that, that <clears throat> we don't really understand our collections until until you start growing something, I think that we, mm. we, we see a different value to food when you grow it from yes. seed to harvest. Mm. And mm. I want to make sure that, you know, kids can eat their vegetables because, you know, produce and fruit is delicious but if it's fresh it has so much flavor right and to me that's 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 powerful like lo- learning where your food comes from learning where, it, where how to grow it it's very empowering to me and also you know we are protecting the environment mm-hmm. we are purifying the air we're building community we're sharing resources we're creating leaderships we're creating leaders and we're also um, mm-hmm. teaching people how to advocate for themselves. Which to me, that's the main thing that's really has been seen from all this organizing work. Is there's no transition from leadership, mm. right? So usually, once a movement starts, they don't transition. They don't teach other. People to take their roles and take it further. It just yeah. once that person leaves, everything just crumbles down because people don't know how things work. And I think that that's we need to have a circular flow of information so we know how to how to market ourselves, how to advocate for ourselves, how to ask questions, how to create fundraisers or create resources for ourselves to to uh, put into practice our vision and what we wanna um, wanna we wanna create.
0: Mm-hmm. That's so, so important, that's so important. And um, how can people find you on social media or what website and how how should they connect and learn about your work?
2: Um, so for folks who wanna follow our work, uh, please visit our website, uh, www.southcentralfarm.org. And all our social media handlers are linked through our website. And our Instagram is uh, uh, at South Central Farm. So definitely uh, uh I would like to invite anybody to who's who's interested in learning about our work and our next phase, which is land acquisition, um, to follow us. And um we haven't publicly announced that we are looking to buy land yet, um, because we everything's been um uh behind the uh, bef- behind the scenes kind of work. But um once we uh we're currently making a uh um we're looking into, we are talking to a, a landowner to see if he's willing to sell to us. If he, if he does, then we will definitely be uh, uh, sharing the story and, and our process as well, too, because I know that, like I said, people want to learn how to start a, a farm or community garden mm. in their neighborhoods. Yes. So definitely, I'm going to be creating a, a series of content that pertains to what kind of um, obstacles or what worked for us, what didn't work for us. Because every every neighborhood is different, right? So they have different obstacles. So definitely, we we gotta learn how to adapt and also identify key leaders in the neighborhood to really get projects off the ground. So, but we're very excited that this um, we should we should know by uh, sometimes this in the upcoming months if the landowner is willing to sell to us. Um, but yeah. it it should be really it's it's gonna be a beautiful uh, beautiful process. It's been a beautiful process and challenging process. But I think that uh once folks understand how complicated it is, and we could also mm-hmm. advocate for policy change. Cause like I said, the city owns a lot of yes. land and if they are willing to sell some other land for organizations who are doing this kind of work, uh, we're not even asking the city to give it to us. We're just like, let us give us a yes. chance to to purchase these properties so we could create these projects that are going to be beneficial for the neighborhood and 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 the whole uh district, right? So definitely we are excited about our new endeavor uh, and definitely we continue to advocate for land 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 access is food justice
0: i'm looking forward to uh a a visit to your farm i it's gonna happen and i'm predicting a a road trip (laughs) you can come visit (laughs) yes Yes. help plant some seeds
2: yes yes Yes, definitely. I think that uh, we, we're big on that and building community through growing food and sharing seeds and sharing food. So definitely, um, hopefully sometime this year, things will happen for us and then we, we will be announcing that we have land and it will be a, a, a small victory, but this victory, because it's not, it's not gonna be 14 acres like the previous site, right? Yeah. But the fact that we are able to navigate those systems of oppression and the fact that we were able to acquire land, and the fact that we are known, <laughs> I think it's going to be really big for 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 our our neighborhoods and and, and our community, and also uh, the fact that we've been getting this conversation. It's just people reference to us all the time, and um, you know we want to make sure that we continue that fire burning and we continue to activate and empower, and um, and it, it it's going to be a victory. To me up. If, when the day happens, I I'm gonna I'm gonna probably lose it because it's been <laughs> seventeen years in the making. Seventeen years, and yeah. if if we're struggling and we're well known to really you know acquire land, you know imagine other people who don't really don't don't know where to go or how to do it. I think that this is just gonna be a phenomenal a victory for our neighborhood and our community and and really um, built a movement that really centers community first over developers. And that's something that we've been really big about because developers continue to exploit and extract resources from our neighborhood, but they don't give us anything back. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. land trust is the future. That's where uh, the future is headed. And I think that's the only way we could preserve land for future generations.
1: Yes, I agree. It's a beautiful way to think about it, because it brings it right front and center now and into the future. Otherwise, if we're not at the table, who knows what happens? Well, we know what happens, the developers come in. And they, right, I just, you're just such a, it. are you're, you're visionary. Um, it, you know, your, your dream is real. And it's like a vision that we can all see, and you're making it happen. And it's so powerful thank you so much we will see you at the
2: farm (laughs) we'll see you at the farm
0: and that was the other border wall podcast thank you for listening we look forward to the next time we all meet stay tuned for more every two weeks thank you